Welcome to the Money Maven Project Podcast. If you're here to learn how to obtain freedom over your time and money through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Create the life you want by living with intention and becoming a maven in mindset, money, and real estate. Now, here's your host, Justin Monk. Hey, this is Justin Monk with the Money Maven Project Podcast. Super excited this afternoon. We've got Mike Glaspie on. Um, super excited to hear your experience about creative investing and kind of maybe some even some example deals of how being able to be creative has won you those deals. So I'll let you kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your background, where you come from, and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Justin. I really appreciate it. Um, to give you the, the audience a little background about myself, my name is Mike Glaspie. I'm a commercial broker currently in Charlotte, North Carolina. But I was actually in the military. I spent 10 years in the military. Uh, majority of it was in special operations as a Green Beret. I did a lot of deployments, a lot of overseas missions, assignments, so forth and so on. Well, I had a, a pretty rough deployment uh, one of the years, and I decided that, you know, I'm not going to be able to do 20 years. You know, kudos to those who do it. Just wasn't going to be for me. So I had to look for something else. And I always had an entrepreneurial bug. So I started digging around with everything. Obviously, the the uh, multi-level marketings, I, I, I dabbled in that a little bit. You know, I dabbled in um, selling goods off of eBay, like Gary Vee has made very famous now. And then ultimately what I had realized is in about 2014, I actually purchased a home. By no means was it intended to be an investment, but I was renting out rooms to the other single soldiers in my unit. Well, as I started doing more research, I realized, hey, this is called house hacking. Well, let me dig a little bit more into this. Now, I was active duty. I had to find ways to kind of stretch, you know, the dollars that I was given. We don't make that much. Um, so I started looking at the traditional trajectory of a real estate investor, which would be wholesale, moved into fix and flips, moved into then, you know, buy and hold and then private money towards the end. So I dabbled with the wholesale. And uh, it didn't really work out for me. You know, I lost some money and then I made some money back. But I realized that, hey, I'm in this for passive income. So let me get creative. What else is there? And as I started doing more research, I found this thing called creative financing, very specifically referred to as, or the, the method I'm referring to is subjects to. Mm -hmm. Once I kind of unlocked that bad boy, I was able to get my first rental for only a couple thousand dollars, turn around cash flow for about two years, and then sold it on the back end, made somewhere around $15,000 net. And everybody was happy in that process. So I said, okay, I can do this more often. I can stretch this a lot further. Yeah. Well, you know, that was right around 2017 was when that first real subject to happen. And since then, I've been able to acquire over 134 doors. I have a hotel syndication company. And uh, I've also started with one of my business partners, an investor-centric real estate brokerage or real estate team. Let me clear that up. Mm -hmm. But it's now expanded to both the Fayetteville and the Charlotte market. We have a little over 30 agents. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it's been a, a hell of a journey, but it's been fun and been resourceful the entire time. So it's been yeah, good. That, that's incredible. That's a lot. You've accomplished a lot in basically three years, right? 2017 was that first kind of... Uh, creative deal, subject to deal, mm -hmm. um, which is just amazing. You, you mentioned something in that process of, so why did the light turn on that passive income was what you wanted versus like, you know, 
getting a payout on a deal? What, why was the passive income the thing that you wanted to go after? That's a great question. I, I try to always think with the end in mind. Like, what are we trying to get to? In the military, they, they kind of ingrain in us the concept of backwards planning, right? Hey, by this day, this mission must be complete. And it could be a mission, you know, for this example, in Afghanistan, but we're still here in North Carolina. So we're now planning from that mission completion date to today. Mm-hmm. But we always start with the end in mind. My end in mind was financial freedom, right? So that I don't have to go to work specifically in the military. I don't need that safety blanket of that paycheck coming in. So if I knew that I wanted passive income, yeah, I could flip now, but flipping now or or whatever, those large capital gains with wholesaling and flipping, it wouldn't get me to my end goal. It could help me, right? But it wouldn't get me there. So that's why I started to change my mindset to say, okay, how can I focus on acquisition of cash flow? throughout mm-hmm. this whole process. Yeah. I think that's important, especially for new investors identifying what their end goal is, right? I mean, yes. Depending on your end goal, it may determine or or change where you focus initially, right? Whether you wholesale or house hack or do the Burr method, like that's going to that's going to be telling as far as where you want to start and where you want to focus your efforts initially. So that's that's super f- profound. Um, so on a sub, so subject to your first project or first deal, um, besides the house act was a subject to tell our listeners what subject to means and how that deal kind of worked out for you. Absolutely. So subject to is also referred to as deed in lieu of just depending on where you are across the nation. But all it is conceptually is that the original owner is going to transfer over the property to the buyer or to the investor, which was me. But the mortgage was going to stay in the original owner's name. Now, a lot of people may say, why would they give you the property but keep the mortgage in my name? That's the, that's the common objection every time. Mm-hmm. Well, in the military, we have this beautiful thing called a VA home loan where you can go 0% down to acquire a property. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we're not educated enough in the, in the, in the armed services where we'll go out and we'll get a beautiful home, top of the market, worth way more than, you know, we can afford technically because we don't have to come out of pocket. And that's exactly what happened in this case. So they had zero equity, right? They bought it here. Essentially, it was only worth the same amount with zero with zero down. So they had zero equity. And then another thing in the military is they kind of force you to move from place to place. We call it permanent change of station. They got forced to move literally one year after they bought it. So unfortunate, no equity. So they can't put it on the market and sell it because you still have realtor fees and things like that. And they had no desire to be a landlord. So I was able to find this opportunity and I said, okay, well, honestly, to be quite honest, they told me their situation. Then I researched subject two. Yeah. Luckily I fell on it and I found an attorney who understood subject two and it kind of walked me through the process. But I was able to go in, pay all of their closing costs, help them get situated and move out. And I said, hey, don't worry about this mortgage anymore. Don't worry about the house anymore. I got it from here. Mm-hmm. Soon as we did that handover and they moved out, I got a property manager to put a tenant in and it was cash flowing a little over $200 a month right off right off the bat. So I put about, it was, cost me maybe about $2,000, maybe $2,500 for all the closing costs and the transfer, $200 a month, right? And then two years later, I was able to sell it for the profit that I mentioned earlier. Wow. So, okay. So, so the, let me make sure I understand this right. So the title transfers to your name, but the mortgage stays in the seller's name. Correct. 
until until what until you decide to sell the property or just perpetually forever until you guys come up with a different deal right that so so and and i think the key here is that this was still a distressed seller like this is still a thing for distressed sellers. you're not even going to go offer this to just anybody right you're still looking for that distressed seller distressed property um where they need an out they need a way out and this guy was probably going to lose money if he just straight up sold the house right after closing costs so he actually did him a favor you covered the closing costs he lost no money he had he's just like well i have this mortgage in my name but it's i don't pay it right it's covered not a big deal for me um that's pretty cool i have not done any subject to i've known about it for a while um but i this is a good refresher of, of that option and to have that in your tool belt for those certain scenarios and and i love that you you identified that there was an opportunity here like there was hey this guy's distressed he has the situation he didn't know right off the bat you know what the solution was but you did some research figured it out um and and we're able to go to help this guy out which is which is super cool and um i love that he you didn't have to put any money in the deal i mean you didn't have to rehab i mean maybe you did maybe you cleaned it up or something but no money in the deal and you, you it's all profit at the end over your closing costs once you close the deal sell the deal out so that's pretty sweet man yeah and ultimately you know it's a, like you said it's a win-win for everybody yeah. and a lot of people are afraid of uh sales positions or getting into real estate because hey i don't want to do cold calls and all this other stuff you know all these objections for beginner investors but honestly if you really look at the best salesmen or sales professionals they're all they are are professional problem solvers they oh, yeah. hear exactly what your issue is and they find a solution. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's Jim Rohn. He says, uh, you will be compensated in direct proportion to the size of the problem you solve. Mm -hmm. Damn. Let me go out there and solve some big problems. <laughs> Let me get out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, so it's impressive. I mean, basically 2017 to 2020, three years, you're looking at 134 doors. I think you said, man, dude, what's the secret to scaling that fast? That's pretty impressive. What has allowed you to scale so quickly? Uh, so bottom line up front, it's through partnership, right? It's through creative approaches and partnership. Um, the way I looked at it was I looked at my picture holistically. I said, okay, where am I at? Where are my resources? And I looked at it in comparison to time, money, and then actual experience or, um, uh, exposure to the deal. Those are the three aspects I look at. And I said, okay, well, while I was in the military, the one thing I didn't have was time, right? I did not have time. I had a little money, but not time. So I started finding people who could, who could leverage or I could leverage uh, to, you know, go out and source the deals, underwrite the deals, so forth and so on. And then once that became more abundant in my life, the time piece, I was like, okay, well, in order to stretch, I need money. Right now, I can either do it through private money, hard money, or I can get creative on the financing where I have to use very little of my money. And then, with the experience of the exposure to the deal, that came through obviously networking, but then with partnership. If somebody came to me and said, Hey, I've got you know 34 unit over here that I'd love to take down, but I kind of need you to come in, absolutely. Let's let's look through it, let's see if the team is in place and we can actually support it. Um, so everything I've accomplished by no means is it a feat all by myself. I will admit that 110% of the time, right? It's always because of the people I surrounded myself with. And I had absolute focus and clarity of where I wanted to go. So mm -hmm. if I said, hey, I want to make $5,000 a month in passive income, as, as an example, by December 31st, 
whatever, 2020. Well, then I knew exactly how many doors I needed to acquire or how many whatever different business ventures I was facing, right? I understood, okay, well, if that's what I need to do, then I know how many deals I need to analyze every week. And if that's the case, then I know how many hours a day I need to commit to this journey. With that clarity, it, you know, everybody says we, we, uh, we overestimate what we can do in one year, greatly underestimate what we can do in five years. And I will tell you, when I first started, I had a 10-year objective. Mm-hmm. I was able to knock out in two years. So yeah. it's just that clarity that just, it's insane. So partnerships are a key there. And in, 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 in these cases, some people are, some of the partners are either bringing money or a deal, or is it always just bringing money? Are they, are they true partners or are they passive investors in your deals? Or are you splitting these deals and the ownership of these deals? That's a really, really great question for clarity, because when I consider a partner as somebody who I trust who's helping me in the business. So for example, my property manager is a partner, right? But to your point, um, I do have some equity partners and if I do have an equity partner in a deal, it's typically a portfolio. So it's never going to be a single family for me personally. Um, and it's either going to be like, for example, for the companies that I have or the portfolios that I have, it's, I have a few by myself, but then in one, it's just me and one other person and another, it's me and two other people. And then the third, it's me and three other people mm-hmm. at that point in time, if we have to bring in five or six or seven, it doesn't make sense to partner, right? At that point in time, I'd rather just find private money and figure it out myself. I've used private money several times, but I also have a hotel syndication company where then we will do syndications where we bring in limited partners. So although they have equity ownership, they have no decision power, right? And so they put in their money and they have uh, all the benefits of the appreciation, depreciation, all that good stuff. Um, But that's a different form of a partnership as well. Yeah, Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I was actually just running a, underwriting in eight, well, two fourplexes, eight units to hopefully do a syndication deal on it. So trying to get into that world. Um, nice. So that's, imp- so what do you say to, I'm just, I'm still just blown away um, 134 doors in, in that short of p- period of time. Um, what do you say to the guy that's been doing it for a year and, you know, he's got four or five properties, whatever, and he's getting frustrated with how long it's taking. Like, because mm. sometimes, I mean, you know, for the most part, everybody that I talk to in the real estate world, like they're go-getters, at least people that I interact, maybe it's just a fluke, but it seems like everybody's kind of like, we got big goals, we're driving hard, we're trying to figure this out, we've got a destination. And so it's easy for us as entrepreneurs or, you know, just go-getters uh, to get frustrated with how long the process is taking sometimes. And so what do you say to that new guy or that, you know, the person that's been doing it for a year and they're like, well... You know, my goal is 100 doors and I'm only at five right now. Like, they just want to throw in the towel and, and, and walk away from it. What, what do you say to somebody like that? So I would immediately ask that individual, why do you need 100 doors, right? And, and the reason why is because when I started off, I said, I need 100 doors in 10 years. And then I really thought about it. What did that 100 doors represent? For most investors, it's an actual passive income level. Right. So if I was to say, hey, you can make a hundred, uh, I'm sorry, you have a hundred doors and you make ten thousand dollars a month. But what if you have 10 doors and you make ten thousand dollars a month? Which would you rather own? Right. Most people will say 10 because it's less headache, less to watch, and I'm making the same amount of money. Well, yeah. if that's the case, it doesn't matter how many doors you have. You need to come up with creative solutions to optimize your efficiency with your five, 10, 15 doors. An example, just a quick little side note would be instead of doing long-term rental, maybe do short-term. And now you just increased your revenue. 
there you go. So when people say they want 100 doors, they want to own this many apartment complexes, it's because we have that that uh, stigma when our generation, where we're watching social media and we're thinking, damn, I want that too. But why? Why do you want 100 doors, man? Mm-hmm. You want $5,000 a month. And I told you, you can get that with five doors. Mm-hmm. You'd be happy. Yeah. Right. So that's what I would say. Don't get frustrated with what you think is out there that you think you want. Think about what is it that you really want? What is the purpose that the hundred doors would give you? And then find creative solutions for it. And the last little piece there is just to be patient, because as you know, we always use the whole cliche of the hockey stick. Right. Um, you know, you focus, you put your blinders on and then all of a sudden you look up and wow, I've done this. Right. And there's always stages to that in the beginning. This is the way just I mentally break it up. There's three stages to the whole real estate journey. You have acquisition mode. That's where you have your blinders on and you're just grabbing everything. You're not even enjoying your passive income or your your capital from your flip. You're just getting it, dumping it right back in, getting it, dumping it right back in. Then you have your stabilization period. That's when, all right, I got 10 doors. I got 15 doors. Let's now make sure management, I can decrease the management fee. I can decrease the taxes. I can do all these things to op, you know, maximize efficiency. Then you have your you know, relaxation or your coast mode where now, hey, everything's on autopilot and the passive income is coming in. You're not hitting that part until the tail end of the hockey stick. Mm-hmm. And so if you can kind of conceptualize that and set your expectations appropriately, then it's like, okay, I know I have to suck it up for two years. I know I have to suck it up for three years. And it's not as bad. It sucks. I'm going to twist it. It's hard, but it's not as bad once you know, like, all right, this is just part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves, and including me. I, I do this all the time. I, I'll get frustrated with, with the, the lack of progress or the pace of the progress or just whatever it is. And sometimes that can make the journey of where we're trying to get to less enjoyable. Like the desire for um, a positive outcome or experience can sometimes make the journey, you know, make the process a negative experience. And so I think it's just a matter of that perspective. Like how can we, you know, again, looking at the long game, uh, backwards planning, figuring out like, where you want to go and what are the options to get there. Um, and just understanding your why you mentioned your why, like let's, let's identify why we're doing this. And then, the hardest part is just just being patient too and, and having that perspective of it's a long-term game if you're playing it for the long term and uh, not to get frustrated on the day-to-day. I, I've, I often talk about be like on the macro level and the big picture, have an, an immense amount of gratitude and patience for what's happening. And even no matter what the pace is, be patient. But on the micro level, which is like the day-to-day, the tactical, the your to-do list for each day, that's where you're like not patient. You're like all out warfare. You gotta get these things done. And so it's a little bit of a dichotomy, but it just depends on what how you're looking at it. If you're looking at it on the macro level, patience. If you're looking at it on the micro level, the day-to-day, you are not patient. You are like bloodthirsty, getting after it. And so it just <laughs> Just depends on where you're looking for, looking at it from for that day, and that's the attitude that you should have towards your progress, and that helps me kind of have patience and understand how we're how we're our progress towards our goals. So yeah, and you got you can't you know nobody is harder on ourselves than ourselves, right? Type of thing, right? We always think that we should be doing more, and 
you know, sometimes you just got to sit back and, you know, the old, the old saying, smell the roses, but seriously you do, right? I mean, people grind so hard in these side hustles of real estate, but they don't really understand that there's nothing that's side hustle-ish about real estate at all, right? If you're trying to acquire a hundred doors and five, whatever the case is, that's not side hustle. That's full on hustle. And when people, you know, going back to the whys, we, we always say, go find your why, but don't just, don't just do the, oh, because I don't want to work anymore. Yeah, that's fine. Nobody wants to work, man. Go deeper. Well, why don't you want to work? Uh, because uh, I want to spend more time with my kids. That's fine. Why? Why do you want to spend more time with your kids? Was well, because, you know, um, I've missed seven of their football games. Okay, but why does that bother you? Go deeper. And if you can get to the point where you say, look, my dad wasn't there when I was playing, and now all of a sudden, I don't want to let my kids down. Great. Now you can use that to find your actual goal. Now let's figure out that's your motivation. That's your reason why on the, on the micro level, like you're talking about, you're going hard every day so you can get that. Now, with that being said, now set a realistic goal with a timeline because you say, yeah, I want to be there for my kids' football games. Okay, great. What's your goal? To make uh, $5,000 a month in 10 years so I don't have to work anymore. Hold on, hold on. You don't have to work anymore in 10 years? How old is your kid? <laughs> uh, eight. Ten years, he's 18. He ain't a kid, right? So let's set the goal backwards off of that. But it all starts with that clarity on the why, like you said. And then that'll give you everything you need, all that fuel you need to keep going. Yeah, this that's great, man. I, I love where this is going. And, and this is something that's been on my mind lately. Um, of there, There's a reason, call it a divine reason, or call it you know the purpose of life, whatever you want to call it. But there's a reason that our desire or our innate desire or dissatisfaction with where we are drives us forward. So, I mean, just as a species, as humans, we've always had, you know, I don't like being in a dark cave, so I got to figure out how to start a fire or whatever it is, right? We've always been looking for the thing, the next thing and the improvements. And that's ultimately what's helped us progress as a species. I mean, I don't know how deep we want to go on that, but and so we that's a good thing. Like the dissatisfaction or the discontent with where we are currently is a it's a, it's an asset or it's a it's a benefit of how we are designed as humans. Because that's what drives us forward. But it also also at the same time, that can be that can also be very frustrating to us because we get discontent and we're not grateful for what we have and we we miss the roses and we miss the journey. And so I've always I've just been thinking a lot about like the journey is where the true value is mm -hmm. the struggles and, and who you become in getting to the hundred doors is actually more valuable than the 100 doors. And let me, let me, for example, um, who you become. So let's just say right now you, you know, you you, you, you have a desire to help world hunger or uh, bring water to remote areas in Africa, like whatever your goal is, you know, whatever you desire you have to impact the world. Well, just imagine how much better of a person you will be at th that effort, may say managing a nonprofit in, in, in attacking that effort, if you knew how to grow a business and manage a business that got you to 100 doors. So you're going to be more capable of blessing the world and bringing value to others in the world if you can figure out how to because of who you became and getting to the hundred doors so i i 
it's a total, I mean, it's a total di- different perspective, but I just feel like we, we, we look way past that. Like focus, don't just focus on, you know, how do I get to a hundred doors, but think about what kind of person do I need to become to get to a hundred doors. And that is a fresh perspective on any goal that you've set. Who do you need to become to get to that goal? What habits do I need to develop? Who do I need to reach out to? Who do I need to know? You know, what characteristics do I need to strengthen or flaws do I need to kind of fix? Like whatever it is. Ultimately, that's where the ultimate value is in, in, in everything that we're doing. Absolutely. My yeah. dad used to say, uh, if if muscles would grow uh, if you could buy muscles on the shelf, everybody would be swole. That's what my dad used to tell me every time he tried to get me to go to the gym. And, you know, I think, like you said, just as a society in general, we tend to see something, admire something, and desire something, but never truly want to put the work in to accomplish it. We look at, you know, sports. We watch sports and we make comments from the couch as we drink a beer. You should have caught it. Yeah. Get show it. You know what I'm saying? Aren't you get out there? We don't we don't really see that the I don't care highest level uh professionals in any realm, actors, athletes, politicians, whatever, they did st- stuff behind the scenes that we would never do, or society in general would never do about waking up at 4 a.m., you know, doing uh, two or three jobs, going to interviews, sleeping in their car so they can get the opportunity to that's what it takes. Yeah, that's what it takes to be successful. That's why they are where they are. Like you said, it's the process. It's the 40 books you read this year, learning how to become a better CEO, how to manage your money, how to uh, negotiate and communicate better. It's it's about the the man saying, you know what, I'm going to read the five love languages, not because I feel sensitive about it. It's because I understand that this is how people communicate. And now I'm going to become a better communicator. Right. It's about taking those steps to make you to the person, like you said, that needs to be. Because if you had a hundred doors or put or if you had a million dollars, you won the lottery, look, and you didn't know how to manage your money, it's gone. Same yeah. concept. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we always desire, like, oh yeah, it would be nice to be Grant Cardone and have all that he has or or whoever, right? I mean, whoever your guy is, Mark Cuban or whoever. But but if you ask yourself like could you do what they do? Like, could you manage $2 billion worth of real estate and several other companies? Like, and I, so that was a humbling experience for me just the other day. I was listening to a book and, and it was talking something about the CEO of, of Lehman Brothers or something. I can't remember. And I'm like, oh man, that'd probably be kind of a nice gig or whatever. I bet I bet to make a bunch of money. You know, I'm like, but I, I couldn't do that. Like I could not be the CEO of Lehman Brothers or anything like that. Like that's not me. And that's where this idea of like, well, okay, who do I need to become to, to accomplish what I want to accomplish? And, and another thing um, that I, you mentioned was, was the people that are always like, you know, how <laughs> I want to have X amount of doors, X amount of cash flow because I, so I can not work. And, mm-hmm. and I just want to, and I think what people are saying, and I've been thinking a lot about this because it goes through my head too, right? I think what people are saying is I want X amount of cash flow doors, money, because I want a life without problems. Mm-hmm. I want a life, you know, where I don't have to get out of bed and go to work problem, or I don't have to, you know, budget and stretch my money to pay my bills or buy groceries. I, that's a problem, right? Like, and so they think that this is the solution to a life without problems. And, and I, I want to caution everybody 
that, that A, there's no such thing. <laughs> you will just get new problems, different problems. And ultimately, you don't want a life without resistance and problems because there's no opportunity to growth in that. And so I think that's partly why Grant Cardone is worth what he is and he still hustles or Brad Lee or, or Mark Cuban or any of those guys, you know, they're still getting after it because there's still somebody that they, they can become and they're still, they're growing through their resistance and their problems. You know, rich people have problems just like poor people. They just have different problems and different money problems, right? Tax problems instead of I can't pay my bills problems. It's just different. So I want everybody to be really careful when they think about, well, I want financial independence because that's a problem-free life and I can sit on the beach. There's no such thing. And it's, it's not good for you. Like a life without problems is not good for you. And uh, because sometimes I just think that that's what they're after, but they need to be clear on what. I want their new problems to be, hey, yep, now I don't have to go to work. My problem now is, where do I spend my time? How can I impact the world? Okay, I want to, you know, again, back to the Africa example or food in a remote country. How do I get food there? How do I fund it? How do I organize this? That's the new problem that you want. And that's what I think ultimately, if we can all get there, those new problems, the the, the world and, and humanity as a whole gets better off as a whole. Absolutely. And I think, so one of the exercises or practical exercises I require all my agents to do is a self-reflection. And I say, okay, hey, if in a perfect world, in a perfect world, what would your day-to-day life look like? Something that is sustainable, okay? And I want you to really imagine it. I want you to vision it. I want you to taste it. Like, what does it look like? Very few of them, very few of them will say, yeah, I wake up, I go to the beach, and I eat a hot dog or whatever, then I come home and I go to sleep. Very few of them. When you think about that day in, day in and day out, that becomes boring, right? Day in and day out, if you had your perfect life, what would you do? And most of the time, they have something that's purposeful mentioned in there, right? It could be teaching my kid to X. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, going to the Boys and Girls Club. Something. It's something purposeful that really gets them going. And if you can use that as your kind of barometer to guide what your perfect lifestyle would look like, that's what you could possibly imagine your financial freedom giving you, right? So for me personally, I love education. And now I'm at the level in my in my companies that I basically teach my agents and I teach coaching clients and things of that nature because that's what I enjoy most. Right. So this is my design of a lifestyle that I enjoy. I work. I work very hard, you know, wake up in the morning, I operate and go on and so forth. But now it's doing things that I consider to be extremely purposeful. And I get to choose where I spend my time and my energy. That's what financial freedom can offer. It doesn't give you no problems. Right? It gives you different problems, like you mentioned. And then you get to design the lifestyle. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, I love those ideas. Um, let's let's jump back to um, some of the real estate stuff. Um, so, what advice? What advice would you have for somebody that's just getting started? Like, you know, they 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 read Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, they 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 understand the passive income and the power of real estate, but they're just trying to figure out how to start. What are what's some advice that you would offer them? 
Yep. So I would honestly offer from that position that we just got done talking about, understand your end vision and your whys. Now, here's the reason why, because a lot of people will start real estate and they'll think that they want to be active in real estate. They think they want to be a flipper. They think they want to design like HGTV, Mm -hmm. when in reality, all they want to do is put their money somewhere and it's making money for them. That's it. That's really what they want. And if that's the case, limited partnerships, private money lending, uh, syndicate, things of that nature may be where you need and how you need to invest in real estate. You probably don't need to do those cold calls trying to do the wholesale transactions. Mm -hmm. So if you're just now getting started and you're reading it and you're understanding the power of real estate, stop. Think about your end overall vision, what your end goals like. Keep the end in mind you know, uh, reverse engineer that bad boy and figure out exactly the strategy that would work best for you. And then from there, go with it. Another example, I had a guy who loved to be hands-on. He thought he wanted to be a real estate agent, went through the course, even got licensed. Then he realized, he was like, I don't enjoy this. I love to swing a hammer. Well, great. Go do flips, Mm -hmm. right? Same thing. You got to figure out where you want to be in the end and then design from there. I love that. Perfect. What mindset or, well, what quality do you see in the people that that succeed in accomplishing their goals versus those that, you know, give up or, or don't don't you know give up, quit, don't make it? I would say it's honestly the people who have that that creative hat on at all times. There's so many people that get told no and then they stop. They throw their hands up and they say, Oh, I can't do it now. You said you told me no. If somebody tells me no, that's an indication that you're either incompetent in that scenario or you're just pure lazy, like you won't even go out because there's always a how. And now it may not be the most advantageous route to take, but there is always a how. It's the people who at least find the how before they decide if they're going to go forward or not, I think, that are ultimately successful. Yeah. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Some. I heard this the other day, something about, you know, to ask yourself, if you feel like you don't have the resources, ask yourself, is it because you don't have the resources or because you're not being resourceful enough? Like there's, there's always a how or a way to get this thing done. You just got to get creative and put in more action, more effort and more study and, and, you know, whatever you gotta do, partner or mentor up and, and get the thing done. But yeah, I, those people that can push through those, those obstacles um, are, they're the ones that are going to succeed. That's perfect. Give us so we talked about subject two. Um, give us some other examples of creative financing that is the one use some deals, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, on our hotel deal, we actually were able to walk in with a ton of equity because we did a basic, basically a loan assumption on the acquisition with a seller carry back or a seller finance for a small portion of the equity. Mm-hmm. Um, by by combining both of those, we were able to walk into a loan that if everybody's familiar with how loans are amortized, at the beginning of the loan origination, most of the payments are going towards interest only. As you go further into the amortization period, more of it starts going to the principal. So every payment is making a larger contribution to your equity buildup. Well, we came in and we were able to acquire a loan that was seasoned for 10 years, which is roughly right where you need it. And we were able to basically, the property had appreciated already for a a large proportion. So we walked into some equity, but we were able, because they were distressed sellers, just seller finance a small portion of that. 
And so by doing that, we didn't, we had to go through a little bit of loan approval process, right? You still have to do that, but we were able to save a lot of the money up front and not have to pay a loan origination fee for a much higher loan. Uh, we were able to not have to bring all equity to the table as far as the back end because we were seller financing. So we were able to be extremely resourceful with the capital that we had at the moment. Um, that's just one good example, but we try to find that in almost every situation. That's awesome. That, that, I have not heard of it done that way. That's pretty awesome. Uh, other other examples, other other tactics to use for creative financing. Yep. So another one would be called um, essentially a rent to own or a lease option. Very similar, slight differences, but nonetheless, you can come in and this is actually very, very common in mobile home parks. Um, now we did this with other with other properties, but this is very common in mobile home parks. It's where you own the actual home, then uh, the person who wants to buy it comes in as a tenant, but they they pay you a non-refundable security deposit saying, hey, I plan on buying this over the course of five years. They continue to pay monthly payments on it until they pay it off. The beautiful piece about that is the house itself may be worth 50000 but because that individual never had to go get a loan or had bad credit, you can charge them 65000 mm -hmm. So now you've made more money over the course of time. And by doing seller finance, you remove yourself of all liability to the house. So there's no more maintenance. There's no more CapEx. It's all gone. You pass it over. Also, when it's all said and done, and now they own it outright, if they decided to move, they probably need to sell it. And who are they going to sell it to? Most yeah. likely mm -hmm. you. And you get to rinse and repeat. Now, we've acquired a lot of properties that way. And that's something that's very commonly practiced in the mobile home community. Yeah. What kind of a, so mobile home is a common, what other, does that scenario require, it doesn't require a distressed property or a distressed owner, but maybe somebody that can't go get a loan for whatever reason, right? So maybe they've been 1099, you know, for a while, they don't have a lot of income history, maybe they're self-employed. That's kind of where that scenario works out. Is that is that what I understand? Yeah, the, rent, the rent to own and the the lease option really works out for those individuals who potentially make a little bit lower income, or just have a bad credit, uh, you know, low credit score essentially. Um, now, I'd still highly recommend that you screen these potential buyers appropriately. Right, make sure that they they're not just running around, getting evicted. You know, they've been delinquent on payments day in and day out because there's plenty of families in low income communities that just, you know, just had a string of bad luck. Right. They just were going paycheck to paycheck. They just need the opportunity. It's, that has nothing to do with the reflection of their credit score. It's quite yeah. a large amount of them. That would be a perfect opportunity where you can then do that option, that rent to own, that lease option to give them the sense of ownership of actually owning a home and give them the possibility. But you also get to monetize slowly over time and again, release all liability to the home itself. Yeah, love that. Where do you recommend, and maybe you have some resources to learn more about these creative finance solutions. Where do you recommend sending people that want to learn more about these ideas? Yeah, so there's a few different places. Um, obviously, a shameless plug, militarycashflow.com or our podcast. You absolutely can go there. You've got, I've got several videos on subject two, seller finance and things of that option. Um, bigger Pockets, we got to love Bigger Pockets. They got a lot of stuff there. But believe it or not, investopedia.com. Hmm. Believe it or not, a lot of concepts, nothing in real estate is new. Nothing is new. This has been practiced since the dawn of time. 
And honestly, real estate is just an investment vehicle. It's just one vehicle. A lot of the terms um, are worded different, but they're the same concepts in many different industries, banking versus you know uh, finance, so forth and so on. So uh, Investopedia is another great place to, to search some of these uh, seller buybacks, carrybacks, seller finance, all that good stuff. And it'll give you the opportunity to study there. Perfect. So a couple of final questions here. This has been super helpful. Hopefully, uh, hopefully our listeners are, are, are catching it too. Um, what are, so what's a favorite business book or one that's been the most impactful in your life, I guess? The most impactful was the book that set it off for me was uh, Darren Hardy's The Compound Effect. Hmm. Uh, it was something, you know how when you read books, it's just the right time. If you read it at the right time in your life, it hits different, right? So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was like 16 or 17, did nothing for me, nothing for me at all. If I read Darren Hardy when I was whatever, 21, 22, it changed everything. Yeah. Um, and it basically just showed me like, hey, my habits now literally are going to impact the future 50 years down the road, 10 years down the road. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I have read, I listened to that book, but it's been a couple of years. So that is a good book. I do like that one. Um, Awesome. And so if people want, well, another question, um, what is, we've talked a lot about identifying your why and help. That's a that's kind of a good starting point. What is your why? What, what is motivating you right now to keep pushing and keep hustling? So my why has changed several times over the years. First, it was just, I had a chip on my shoulder, right? Uh, all the people in the military told me, don't get out. You got to do 20. You're dumb for getting out. I was like, okay, let me prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. Then it was showing my family, especially my siblings, like, hey, don't feel like you're trapped. There's more options. I have I have younger siblings that I'm really trying to to show, like, we got we got options. We have opportunities out here. Then it transferred over to kind of where I'm at now. It's I understand the struggles that I faced in the military and that I still face, even though now I'm out. Mm -hmm. And I want veterans to know that there is another alternative than sacrificing your mental health and your physical health just to do a job that you feel you need for the security of the paycheck, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you're doing it for the service of your country, by all means, God bless you, continue it. Yeah. But there's so many uh, servicemen and women who feel like they are too afraid to walk away from that security blanket. And I want to show them that the military is the perfect training ground to create an entrepreneur and a business owner. Yeah. And so that's really kind of my why in the moment. I love that. I love that. And is that, is that kind of the message and the, the idea behind the, the podcast that you have? Yeah, absolutely. So military cash flow covers business tips, finance tips, real estate tips. It is targeted to the veteran community, but it's knowledge for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, even the book I wrote there, the elite investor was targeted towards you know, entrepreneurs, people who felt essentially confined uh, or restricted by their W-2, whatever the case may be, to show them that, hey, you have more skills than you think. You have more skills than you think. You just need to know how to apply them. Mm -hmm. I love that. Where else? So, so if they want to reach out to you, uh, contact you, even look at the book or pick up the book, where, where do you want to send them? Yeah. So you guys can go straight to my website, uh, Michael sglasby.com. That's a very simple way. My Instagram, michael.s.glasby or my LinkedIn. 
Michael Glassby. And then obviously, if you guys want to see some of the, the, if you go to the website, it'll guide you all to the, uh, to the companies um, that I have, but you can find me on fivepillarsrealty.com and uh, archimedesinternational.com. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. We'll make sure all that stuff's in the notes. And then last question, and you've kind of already answered this. Um, how are you, what are some ways that you're giving back? I mean, you're, you kind of mentioned that your current why is, is giving back and helping other veterans, other servicemen. Um, so maybe that's the answer, but, but what are some other ways that you're giving back and focused on helping, helping others? Absolutely. Uh, one of the organizations, one of the charitable organizations that I'm very uh, in tune with is the Green Beret Foundation. Mm-hmm. And I try as many times as I can to host fundraisers, uh, promote their brand and their message and attract more eyes uh, to them as possible. That's a small way that I give back, but it's a very specific community that I'm targeting in that realm. So um, mm-hmm. if anybody is interested in just seeing what they are, definitely check out GreenBeretFoundation.com. And, uh, and and just see if you guys are inclined to, to donate, definitely go for it. Love that. Well, Mike, this has been super helpful. This has uh, reminded me of and taught me a few more creative um, options to have as far as winning deals, have some tools in my tool belt. And uh, I love, love the conversation around, you know, identifying your why, um, not getting too caught up in uh, finding a life without problems and, and yeah. being careful what we're actually looking for and what our end destination is. And the planning backwards, I love. Um, that needs to be a skill for everybody. Um, so, man, I appreciate your time on here. We will we'll make sure that, uh, that those those shows, those uh, notes are in the in there so people can find you. But, man, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Money Maven Project podcast. A true maven shares knowledge with others. So be sure to share this podcast and leave a review. Thanks so much. And until next time, live life with intention.